Well, good morning, church. It's my privilege, and I'm super excited about bringing the message today and our pastor's absence. And so uh, we are going to continue along in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. So uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn uh, to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to be in verses 6 through 10 today. Um, pastor preached earlier on the earlier verses, and we know from uh, pastor's preaching in the earlier text and in, in, in the early chapter of uh, chapter 6 there in First Timothy, that what was going on in the time that uh, was uh, experiencing, Timothy was experiencing, that Paul was writing Timothy uh, in a sense to urge him to make sure that sound doctrine and teaching was happening in the church of Ephesus. And so this, this, this teaching that was happening uh, during Timothy's time as a leader in Ephesus was, was not so sound. And so you know, as Pastor told us last Sunday, that one of the, the, the biggest shames of our day is that the doctrine, uh, sound doctrine is not being taught the way that it should be uh, in many churches across America. And so it leads us to our text today, and the title of, of our message today is, is really the secret of contentment, but also it's the, the danger in loving money. So, uh, but... I came across an article as I per was preparing to, to teach today and preach today to you, um, and it really talked about this thing called the prosperity gospel that is really taking shape um, and, and really, really, uh, really having a, a forceful movement in our culture today in, in many churches across America. Uh, this prosperity gospel is also known as the health and wealth health and wealth gospel or the word of faith movement in this article that I was reading by um, the gospel coalition by a man named Joe Carter he came out and talked about it's a it's basically this new uh, movement that's happening in our, our culture today that where many people uh, are really using their their influence within the church to have a lucrative gain. They're they're making much of of Jesus, but in a, in not so much a sound way, and they're twisting God's word in order to be lucrative for themselves. Now, church, I want to be really honest with you today. As I studied a little bit about this word of faith movement and this health and wealth gospel, this is exactly what Timothy was dealing with in the church of Ephesus in the text that we're going to deal with today. He was dealing with people who were false teachers teaching doctrine that was not healthy. It wasn't for the building up of the believers. Rather, they were using it for selfish gain. In verse 5, I know that's not what we're really looking at today, but if you look at uh, chapter 6, verse 5, it says this. Let me find it here in the Word. It says um, that they were basically using their godliness in order to produce uh, gain in their life. What that means is not... Uh, not like gain to help people be built up in the church at Ephesus, but rather gain in finances and power and position. And this is what we see with this prosperity gospel that is being in our culture today. It's a perversion of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It claims that God rewards and increases in faith with increasing health and wealth. You know, as I study the word of God and as I grow in my knowledge of the word of God as a person who loves to study the word of God, the thing that I understand is that God does bless people, but oftentimes this new prosperity gospel that's being uh, produced in our culture today is one that honestly is missing a lack of a lot of things. The doctrine of suffering, 
You know, the Bible, as I read it and I grow in my knowledge of it, it talks about suffering. It talks about suffering. Even the, the Apostle Paul that's encouraging Timothy in this passage here uh, is one who, who struggled and suffered for the sake of the gospel. Many of the apostles and other followers of Jesus did the same thing. They suffered for the gospel. It's an absence of self-denial. It's making much of yourself and little of God in this prosperity gospel that's being taught today. It's not very well done in the teaching of doctrine because it's not expositionally taught. It's, it's basically taking and cherry-picking different things in order to preach, uh, to cater to the person who's trying to gain selfish wealth from their teaching. And also, it, it makes much of the person and little of God again. So this prosperity gospel, it started really post-World War II as I studied about it in our culture today. It started in small circles of charismatic and Pentecostal believers, not only in local congregations, but also it spread uh, through revivals and things like that post-World War II. And then in the 1980s, I learned that this prosperity gospel or this health and wealth gospel really gained traction in the 1980s. And if you're from the 80s like I am, um, you remember televangelists and people that were big on television across uh, television. And they were preaching about these things, doing healings. And, and really, uh, you can buy this for $19.99 after their ser- service was done, um, really pushing their products. And so we saw that it really gaining traction after the 1980s uh, with tele- television and with radio and all this stuff. But why I bring this up is it really it ties into what we're preaching and teaching today is that Timothy was dealing with the same thing in this part of the, uh, the text we're looking at. Um, Timothy was dealing with uh, Paul trying to write him and encourage him, exhort him to say, be on guard, be watchful, because there are people that are not just teaching incorrect doctrine, but they're teaching something that they, they, they can use as leverage to get rich and to lead people astray, but really for their own selfish gain. But Paul in verse 5, we're going to see uh, really transitions to what real contentment and what real leaders in the church should be looking like. But we know that as we look around our culture and our world today, church, that we oftentimes see people who are with, without contentment. We see people who are starving and striving for fulfillment and satisf- satisfaction and for joy and purpose and to feel a sense of peace. To be real honest, as I just walked uh, this last week through my life, I saw people who were unfulfilled. I've seen people who were dissatisfied. They were empty, they're lonely, and they're restless, searching for something in this world that can bring contentment and peace. And here Paul is urging Timothy to tell the people, the believers in the church of Ephesus, what really does bring contentment and peace in someone's life. What, what is this? So let's look at the first verse in verse 5. Or six, excuse me. It says this, but godliness with contentment is great gain. You know, the secret of contentment is is godliness. You know, the first thing we see in our text today, if we have great gain, it's because we have salvation in Christ. The reason we sing it is well with our soul and we can sing about a living hope and not having to worry about leaving this, this fleeting world one day is because we have hope and something greater than what this world offers. You know, Timothy is being reminded from Paul that godliness with contentment is great gain, but first you have to have godliness in your life. 
We see that Paul seeks to help us today by pointing out that contentment is not only found in godliness alone, but through that relationship that's found through Christ. I just want to reiterate that. When we find salvation in Christ, here's what we truly find, church. And I hope that you found this in your hearts today. We, we, we gain this great gain because God has given us his forgiveness. God has not only just given us forgiveness, he's given us God's peace. God's spirit within our life. We talked about uh, that today, about the working of Stephen and the working of the Holy Spirit in Stephen's heart and life. Well, I can tell you the working of the Holy Spirit has done a work in my life, and I've seen it in many others. But also, he gives the promise of eternal life when we gain uh, great gain through a relationship with Jesus. These great gains are worth more than any of the riches in this world. I know we live in a world where people are unfulfilled, unsatisfied, and discontent because they're looking for it in all the wrong places. Let this be a warning to us as Paul talks to, uh, about the false teachers and how they were using their, their godliness as gain for lucrative gain, but how he then switches in contrast to, to this person of Timothy and, and urging him to say, but godliness with contentment is great gain. He's saying, don't, don't look at what you see and don't fall prey to what these false teachers are leading people in, but turn them back to saying that God is the thing, is, he's our prize. He's the thing to have our eyes on. And so as we see what we gain in, in God, we see that we have great gain because of salvation in Christ, but we also have true contentment. It's not found in ourselves. It's not found in things of this world, wealth. But it's only, again, found in relationship with Christ. Philippians 4, Paul is the one here in Philippians chapter 4, 11 through 13. I believe Paul had uh, this, this courage and strength that he could, he could say in these verses here in the fourth chapter of Philippians, with certainty about contentment. And this is what he says. Now that I'm speaking of being in need, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to, be a, 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 to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and, and hunger, abundant, abundance and need, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We see that, that uh, I can do all things through, through Christ who strengthens me is a verse that's used out of context many times. What this is alluding to is contentment. That Paul is saying whatever highs that I've been through, how much I've been abounding in my faith, in my walk with the Lord, whatever circumstances I'm going through, and whatever little that I've lived with, I found one thing with godliness and relationship with Christ. I have contentment. I have peace. So church today, let us have this uh, this great gain that comes from salvation in Christ. I want to pause right here and I want to encourage and, and, and uh, if there's someone here today who has not yet trusted their life over to Christ, then this is the time to do that and have contentment. Stop searching within yourself. Stop searching for what the world offers and look to Christ. Our church, our, our church and, and us, that's the message we need to go out and share about the good news of, and the hope that's found in Christ. That's where people will find fulfillment. Here's the second thing. True godliness produces a heart that is satisfied seeking nothing else. Let's talk about our hearts this morning. Is your heart one that's pleased? Is your heart one that's fulfilled? Is your heart one that's complete, completed and sufficient? And what it has in Christ. When we looked at the fourth chapter of Philippians, we see Paul was content. 
And Paul was urging Timothy as a, as, a, as a mentor in the faith and as someone who was leading a church of Ephesus that was going astray and falling uh, prey to false teachers and talk, doctrine that was uh, contrary to what the word of God really was teaching. He was saying this, that be like, like I was. Be, be focused on being pleased and fulfilled and finding sufficiency in, the, in, in who Christ is and your relationship with him. We also become people who choose to focus on what we already have and do not, and, and not what we don't. So we talk about the secret of contentment, okay? It's, it's not on focusing on what we don't have, but it's on, rather on focusing on what we do. We see that that uh, you know, brings a lot of uh, fulfillment in one's life. Matthew Henry um, wrote this, that Christian contentment is all the wealth in the world. He said he goes on to remark that if a man has enough to carry him through this world, he desires no more. His godliness will be great gain. Let that be one of the things that echoes true in our life. One of the things that the Holy Spirit reminds us in our life today as a Christ follower. That the things of this world are fleeting and passing, but with God and all that he's given us, it is great gain. And we have all that we need to be content Church, we must be uh, learned to this, and I just put it in simple terms. We need to learn our, our wants and our needs. And we need to learn that in this culture, I know we fall prey to understanding that sometimes we look at what other people have and we want that. We covet it. But the Bible speaks about coveting and greed and the danger in that. And actually, at the, the latter per, part of what we're studying today, the love of money is even a part that leads to people's utter destruction. Let us be happy and content with what we have because we have Christ. And whatever God gives us, our basic needs, let us be thankful in those. We also not only just need to focus on our wants and our needs, but we need to gain God's perspective on what it is that we are to live like. We need to understand that we have a living hope. We have a, a heart that can say it is well. We have a, a, a church family. We've been blessed with uh, just having God have people intersect our lives and have the Holy Spirit work in it so we come to know who Jesus is. At whatever age you are, I don't care if you're older in here and you came to know Jesus late. Just count it a blessing you know Jesus. If you're younger, like some of the students that I talk to and I get to teach, you're, you're so blessed because you have a biblical perspective. You have an understanding of God and the working of the Holy Spirit. And you have this peace that comes from salvation in Christ. That's where contentment's found. Not in the world's perspective where it's distorted by sin. You see, we live in this world and we're just sojourners just walking through the world. This is not our home. Let me say that again. I'm proud to be an American, but I'm more proud to be a Christ follower. And I know that one day I'm going to be around the throne singing with people who love Jesus with me because ultimately my home is in eternity. And so, church, let us keep this perspective, not the world's perspective that's distorted by sin and our own, uh, our own desire for things, but rather let our, our focus and our life be filled with thanksgiving and gratitude and contentment for what God has given us. We are a blessed people. You know, I've been to other parts of the world and I've seen things in other parts of the world that you come back and you just say, thank you, God. I know that I am uh, one of the few very, very lucky people who get to have a house over my head, a roof, and I get to be blessed with a car and I get to be blessed with a job that provides for my family. 
Church, we just need to be more content in what God has already given us, that relationship with him. The second thing is we need to, uh, we, we, uh, we need to refuse to believe that contentment is found in wealth and riches. I know, church, this is a popular message to preach today. Everybody likes things. One of, my, one of the songs I remember growing up was, I like money. Lots and lots of money. Okay, you guys know what I'm saying. I mean, you, you think of some other songs that we think about when we think about the culture we live in, the things we listen to, we let get in our ears, is uh, money, money, money. Church, I'm saying this, we got to refuse to believe that contentment is found in wealth and riches. The things that we listen to, the things that we strive for, if we're not careful, will become who we want to be. It says here in verses 7 and 8, For we brought nothing into this world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. You know, here's the thing that Paul's urging Timothy in, is saying that these are reasons that we should not chase after the world's wealth. Is that, the, that contentment is not found in these things. You know, uh, wealth and riches do not last and we can't take them with us. You know, some of us, we strive to be um, all that we can be. And God wants you to be successful. God does not hate money. God wants you to prosper and, and be a good people. But the thing is that wealth and riches do not last. So one of the things that we need to learn about this is that we come into this world with nothing. We come into the world being born naked, empty-handed, and we leave the same way. So why not be a person who, when you understand that Christ has done a working in your heart and you have gained so much from that, whatever he does give you while you're on this earth should be considered contentment. And with that godliness, you can be thankful and have gratitude. You know, and here in verse 7, Paul states the obvious, that we brought nothing into this world. We can, we can bring nothing out of it. Examples, think about things in your life right now that apply to you, your money, your home, your cars, your jewelry, you fill in the blank. All these will be left behind. So if we have something to eat, clothing to wear, and a place to stay. I know the scripture here, it talks about, in there, it talks about that we can be content with uh, if we have food and clothing. But clothing in Greek, actually in the Greek, actually it's talking about a shelter also. So if we have the basic needs in life. If we have these basic needs, then we don't need anything else to be content. I love Paul urging a younger Timothy in a church where things are going awry to understand, back, come to, back to the basics of his relationship with Christ and then being content with what he does have and what he doesn't. Okay, and then here's the second thing, that no contentment is found chasing after these things. Um, we need to refuse to believe that contentment is found in wealth and riches, and we need to know that contentment is never found in these things. Have you guys ever seen someone who is a movie star or an athlete, and they have everything that the world could offer and what we think would make someone happy, but yet they are the saddest, most lost people in the world? They're unfulfilled. They're always searching. They want more. They, they search for more. They, they are always trying to stockpile and hoard and hoard and they're always looking for something new to bring fulfillment in their life here we we know the reason these people 
have this problem is because they're not, there's no contentment found in these things that people chase after. One of the people that, uh, I've been to Cleveland many times in my life, and, and there was a guy named John D. Rockefeller at uh, one time. A lot of you uh, probably have studied about him or heard about him. He was a, an oil, he, he had the oil business uh, a monopoly on it. He, he really was a, a billionaire, John D. Rockefeller. He lived in Cleveland, and uh, he once said this, I have made many millions, but, I have brought it, but it has brought me no happiness. And the poorest man I know is a man who has nothing but money. This man that was, uh, this man was a billionaire, and this is his words. Someone who you think that uh, contentment would be found in all these wealth and riches, and he had everything. I mean, he had everything. I mean, all the gas stations and oil uh, stations today that have broke up, BP and Exxon and all these, they came from John D. Rockefeller from his little empire that he started with his oil business. You know, and we see that he, he says that these people are, are not happy. They're not, uh, they're the poorest people. Um, here's one of the things that I want to say today. Listen to this really careful. What erodes our contentment is a voice of the world which appeals to our flesh and our desires that say, you need more brand name clothes. You need these fancy new toys. You need fancier cars. You need more vacations. You need the fad for you or your child. The voice of the world that pleads uh, for us to help, uh, help us get a better image or a better reputation. Making material impressions uh, the end all in our life. We need, to, we need to keep up with other people. Have you ever heard of keeping up with the Joneses? Yes. The voice of the world that desires to rob you of contentment in God and desires for you. You know, this world will rob you of your contentment if you're not careful. It'll distract you and blind you from the truth of what God has done. You can chase the world or you can be content in God. The choice is yours. Church, next time we watch our televisions or we turn on the radio, we need to ask ourselves some important questions. Is this ad promoting anything that will lead to contentment in my life? Have we ever thought about that, what we watch on our televisions have we ever thought about what the ad is telling me to be content in or what it's going to do for me? What this product or service was really going to do? More than likely, the ad is seeking to stir up our greed and our lust for things. And all it does is lead to vanity and pride that would disturb, leave us disturbed and no contentment in our life. But again, because when we refuse to believe that contentment is found in wealth and riches, we are winning, church. Colossians chapter 3, it says in 2 and 3 from the Amplified Bible, it says to set your mind and keep focused habitually on the things above, the heavenly things. It also says this, not only things that are on the earth, which are only temporal value, for you die to this world and your new real life is hidden with Christ in God. You hear, we have a new life. We need to think about that when we think about um, being distracted and, and, and chasing after things in the world and thinking our contentment comes from them things. Rather, we need to be content with Christ and realize that, you know, there's no contentment found in these things and that wealth and riches matter nothing in eternity. Guys, the permanent uh, and eternal things should be at the forefront of us and our thinking as Christians. 
but how often we're clouded with the th- thought that life is, 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 is so much more, that we've got to gain so much more, we've got to have so much more better things. Here's what I would encourage us to, to stay focused on, is when we think about wealth and riches not mattering in etern- eternity, we have to think about our life, why we have it here on earth. That life is brief and just a, a vapor. That we're here today and gone tomorrow. And the one thing that we need to stay focused on in, in, in thinking of contentment and being careful about what we're being taught in the church is this, is that life is brief and we want to make every second of account for the glory of God. We're here to give glory to God. One of the things I would say as a pastor is one of the things that you can take with you when you leave this earth is the, the relationships you invest in other people with the gospel. Think about this. What else can you take when you leave this earth? Nothing. The only thing you can take is that you've invested in people eternity with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And with that, you have contentment knowing that not only are you doing what God has commissioned you to do, but you know that you could impact someone else in eternity for, for the best of their life could ever offer. And so be people who look at your life as brief on this earth and that wealth and riches matter nothing in eternity, but why you have time with that, that little dash that will be on your, your tombstone, that life that you had, how have you used it for the glory of God? Use that for uh, turning people to Christ. David Platt says this, that um, are you saying it's wrong to make lots of money? My answer, he said, is clearly no. What matters most is not how much you earn, but what you do with what you earn. God doesn't command the rich to stop making money. Instead, he commands the rich to use their money on earth to store up treasures in eternity. How are we using our money in our lives today, church? I'm not here to tell you how to use your money. I'm just here to tell you what God expects you to do with it. God is expecting you to do this, to invest eternally in something that matters, that will carry over and won't be left behind. The third thing of today in this text is pursuing wealth and riches leads to destruction. Here in verses 9 and 10, it says, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into snares, into senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through their cravings that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many prongs. Here in verses 9 and 10, you see that Paul is telling us that first the world uh, does not give uh, contentment. It gives discontentment. And being uh, a person who leads a life that pursues riches, it, it, it leads to some pretty sad things. It leads to all kinds of temptations. It leads to foolishness and harmful desires. It leads to ruin and destruction. The love of money leads to all kinds of evils the verb in this uh in this first verse i want you to see is uh you know that we we talked about is the word fall paul tells us that the world lives in discontentment but it says here but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation this is a verb it indicates a continual falling a continual uh temptation and traps into one who pursues their heart is bent towards the love of money let that be a warning to us, uh, church, as you drive a car and your warning light comes on saying there's a problem. When our heart is so fixed on the things that, uh, of money and the love of gaining more for ourselves, 
then we see that we could come into this, this continual falling into temptation and traps. The falling into temptation and traps is a person determined to be rich. You see that it talks about it's okay to have money. There's no, nothing wrong with money in itself, but it's the love. It's the desire of those who seek after that over everything in their life. Have you ever met people that are maybe even sometimes Christian and they're so in love with trying to get more and more? They are never content. They're never satisfied. They always are trying to look for more ways to be wealthy or have more in their life. Here's the problem with that that says in this, uh, these verses here in 9 and 10. That first, it tempts to enslave and snare someone. Now, if you're someone like me and you, you're like, what's a snare? I'm a good old country boy, so I know people that used to hunt. I was actually talking to someone out in the hallway today, and, and I said, have you ever used a snare to go hunting? And he said, yeah, I've used a snare. Basically, what a snare is, it's a, it's a, it's a device to trap birds or squirrels or some type of small uh, animal. Sometimes it can be even used on larger animals. But what it does, it's, it's, a, it's a device that traps the animal and it, it uses like a noose. And basically, um, it, it catches uh, this animal in the noose. And as the animal is going through this wire or cord, it's this noose and it's put on a trailhead. And as the animal is walking through this trailhead or, or somewhere around where they're going to trap... They fall into the snare, and the snare is a circle like a noose. And as the animal or the, the small rodent is putting pressure on the noose, it's tightening around, it's tightening around the animal or the, the small rodent. And what happens is the animal becomes ensnared and trapped. And actually, it leads to their own destruction. You know, this is a warning to us um, today that, it, that money or the love, the pursuit of our hearts being bent towards that and being in love with that, the desire of that, can enslave us. How can money tempt to enslave someone, you might ask today? Well, as you get more and more money, you always want more and more money. You're never content. It tempts to it, it cause a person to indulge in sinful behaviors. It, it tempts a person to live selfishly and more extravagantly than they need to. It tempts a person to control and dominate some other people sometimes or maybe other situations in their life. But honestly, the biggest thing I think it enslaves someone in is that it makes you have self-confidence in yourself and thinking that you don't need the Lord. Think about people you know that have everything. They can go anywhere, anytime they want. They don't have to ask for any handouts. They, they have everything they ever need. And with that becomes pride. And, it, and really pride is, becomes their fall. It's, it becomes their, in, their trapping. They're enslaved to it. But also it causes many foolish and harmful desires that the text says. It feeds, our, it feeds our desires and our lust for things and passions of the world. Last time I checked, you know, uh, us as a people of the faith should live uh, differently. We should live in a way that we don't look like the world. But yet when you have everything uh, it, that's found uh, in, in the love of money and pursuing that, it leads to you doing things that you ought to ever never do. You crave and crave more. You lust and you lust for more things. You hoard and you hoard. Even believers who desire to get rich can be at, at, uh, in danger here. Did you hear what it says here? It says, but those who desire 
again, that, that heart, that desire to want to be rich, fall into temptation, into a snare, and those uh, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. It, it, it also talks about, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. And through this, it even has caused many people to wander away from the faith. Think about this. Um, it, when I was studying this, I was thinking about what's something I could use to sort of tie this together with people in the faith. And I remember studying about uh, a parable in Luke chapter 8. And it talked about this parable of the different soils. You guys are probably really familiar with this. There's some seed that a farmer cast down and he, some fell on hard soil. It was on a footpath and birds quickly came down and ate that seed up. And then there was some that fell on the rocky soil and uh, the plants began to grew, grow, but when the sun came up, it, it withered and died. Then there was some that fell on the thorny soil where the weeds choked it out. And this is where I want to pause for a second because when we talk about people and their desire to get rich, their, their desire for the love of money, and when we think about people in the faith, Timothy was seeing people in the church of Ephesus fall in love with money and and fall in love with probably unsound teaching, and they were leaving the faith. Here's one of the things we read in in Luke chapter 8, verse 14, about this thorny soil. It says, The seed that fell among the the thorns represents those who hear the message, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of this life. And so they never grow into maturity. But yet, what happens? They walk away from the faith. Church, let us be really careful in the sense that when we learn about these different soils, we see that uh, even in this text today, that there were people in the church walking away from the faith because of their desire and their hunger for money. I, I think there's an important thing to pause here and think about where our hearts are and what we're in love with. You know, I think about millions upon millions of people around the world today that are hopeless and going to bed hungry, cold, sick, all dying from a lack of food, clean water, clothing, shelter, and disease. And the most tragic thing today is that not only are they living in that kind of situation, but they're dying without Christ. They're dying without the hope of the living, eternal God. They're dying without people who are finding it important enough to share the gospel with them. Guys, let us, let us not be people like the seed that was cast on the thorny soil. It's not just speaking to people who are not in the faith, but it's speaking to us today in the church. Here's the other thing it does. It plunges us, it plunges us into destruction. It says it plunges men into destruction. Money plunges men into ruin and destruction, it says. that The word plunge here is a descriptive word. It describes a, a picture of showing wealth as a personal monster. Um, it's, it's a personal monster. Once it gains hold of you and, and, and you make that your heart's desire, it plunges its victims into the ocean, into complete destruction, taking you down to where you'll never, never... Uh, be able to live like you once did you know you it actually leads to some people's ruin utter ruin people leaving the faith losing hope in god guys here's the thing um, that we need to understand that money is powerful if we give our heart over to money 
It's dangerous. In Mark 8.36, it says, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his whole soul, his, his soul, his very soul? You know, when we think of it, plunges men into destruction, we oftentimes are in pursuit and chasing after these things that will lead to our utter ruin and destruction. The last thing I want to say, it, it, the love of money is the root of all evils. And let's talk a little bit about this today. How is it the root of all evil? William Barclay said this. He said that money in itself is neither good nor bad. It is simply dangerous in that the love of money may become bad. With, with money, a man can do so much good. And with money, he can, be self, he can selfishly serve his own desires. And with money, he can generously answer the cry of his neighbor's needs. And with money, a man can buy his, his way to a forbidden things and facilitate a path of wrongdoing. And with money, he can make it easy, easier for someone else to live as God has meant him to live. But money, in, uh, money is not the evil, an evil, but it is a great responsibility, he says. So here's what I want to say to you today. I'm not telling you not to have money and to be poor and to live in destitute. But what I'm saying is find your contentment in Christ. Be careful to think that contentment is gained through the world's uh, wealth and things of that. And also be on guard with your heart and your desire for money. There's money can do many good things, as William Barclay says, but the love of money causes many people to covet and leads them to destroying uh, their contentment in God. It leads people away from the faith. It makes them turn to idols and to worship things of the, that money can buy. It also, the love of money causes people to wander um, to other things that are fleshly, lust of the world. The love of money causes people to pierce themselves with many griefs. You want to see people that have many griefs? It's many people that have lots of money. We, from when we look at other people in the world, say, man, them people, they got everything. They got the nice house. They got a big bank account. They, their kids wear all kinds of nice clothes. Um, they just seem to have everything together from the outward you know, perspective, but really inwardly, listen, church, they are so discontent and searching for things that will really fulfill them. The thing that many of us have found today in our own lives with Christ. The love of money also causes a person's heart to be pierced uh, with emptiness, worry, anxiety, instead of peace and contentment. Have you ever seen somebody who has money? They're always like, they're afraid of losing their money, for one. They're stingy mo most of the time. Many people I know that they mean that you go out to the restaurant with them, they're expecting you to pay. I'm like, dude, I'm on a, I'm a youth pastor's salary here. Come on now, I'm not, I'm not buying your food. Come on now, um, you should be buying mine. But here's the thing, you know, it causes people to become stingy. It causes people to look to what they have and hoard it and keep for themselves. But here's one of the things as we get into close, we need to be motivated church to love God and not to love money. It's that simple. Not to find our contentment in the things of the world, as Paul was urging Timothy to tell those who are in Ephesus, but to remember to love God and not to love money. To, to, to be responsible with our money. And the last thing, David Platt, I want to leave with a quote that he says. It's going to be up on the screens. It says this, We will not wish that we had made more money, acquired more stuff, lived more comfortably, taken more vacations, watched more television, pursued greater retirement, 
or, or been more successful in the eyes of this world. Instead, we will wish that we have given more of ourselves to living for the day when every nation, tribe, people, and language will bow around the, uh, around the throne, singing praise to the Savior who delights in radical obedience and uh, radical obedience and the God who deserves eternal worship. So let me um, real quick just say this. If you're here today and say um, you're looking for contentment, I want to just say this. There's contentment found in Christ. We know that contentment is found in what it says in John 14, 6, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And if you're one here today that you've been searching for contentment and real life in possessions and money and things that are pursuits of the world, I would tell you today is the day to repent of that and turn to Christ. We know that Christ died for the whole world. In John three sixteen, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. Here, if you're here today, you're one of those who Christ died for you. He died because you were a sinner. He died in your place because you couldn't do anything to earn your salvation or to make it to heaven. He died so that you could have great gain, that you could have godliness, and you could have contentment. If you're one here today that you would say, I'm going to humble myself today because I want contentment. I've been looking in the wrong places for this contentment. And today I'm going to turn to Jesus and him alone for contentment. I'm going to turn to Jesus alone for my salvation. And all it is is simply by obeying God and believing that what he's done on the cross is what really sets us free to have a life and a life of abundance, a life of contentment, a life of peace and purpose. So today, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask Dan to come up and I'm just simply going to pray. And I'm just going to ask that during this invitation time, if you're here today and you've never truly found contentment, maybe you're someone here today that you've had contentment, you thought contentment was found in um, God plus other things. Well, you're wrong. It's only found in contentment in what God has done for you and then being content with what he gives you as your needs and being thankful and grateful. So today, church, if there's one here today that has not come to know Christ, I want to offer you an invitation to just come forward. It's not to in, in, in embarrass anybody. It's not to make you feel uncomfortable. It's just to say, God, here's my heart. I want to humble it before you and say, I want to begin a journey with you to have you as my Savior. So, church, would you please stand? And as we stand, this is a song of invitation for you to respond today to the contentment that is found in Christ and what he's done on the cross for you in your life.